0: Welcome to HALA Talk, I'm your host Jess Shapiro, I'm Jack Weinman, and we are joined by a very special guest today, Matt Budin.
1: Hello, pleasure to be here.
0: Uh, well, welcome Matt. Matt brought the HALA today, I so please tell us about this HALA.
1: Okay, so this HALA, uh, what does the box say or the branding say, I can't remember, Zomex, I believe, yes, Zomex HALA, and uh, interesting story about this HALA, apparently it used to be only available in New York. So my stepmom Julie would order in like four or five of them around this time of year, and she would freeze them. And they're apparently a very hot commodity in the family. So um, now you can buy them at Whole Foods, and she claims it's the best. So I guess we'll see.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like you've had more hala experience than our previous three guests. <laughs> this, is, this was the the first time that any of the three guests have tasted hala uh, on our show. So please it. explain your background.
1: Well, my background in challah. I mean, I guess I'll talk for a little bit. Um, my so my dad is Jewish and my uh, stepmom is Jewish as well. So like I celebrate all the holidays, um, Rosh Hashanah, um, Hanukkah, all that. So um, I do enjoy a lot of good challah. Um, and this I, I tasted this uh, this year for um, Yom Kippur and it was actually Yom. yeah it was for for Yom. Yom. yeah so yeah
0: I mean with just looking at it it's a beautiful. <laughs> Piece of art right here. It's a circle holla. I don't think we've had a circle holla. Yet. Mm-mm. Interesting. I'm so excited, and it says egg egg holla too. I just I just know it's gonna be good. Okay. All right, so, should we dive in? Here let's we dive go. In.
2: It's a pretty good holla. Mm. I it's must too. say, very different from the previous three hollas. Definitely. Really. It's a unique mm-hmm. holla, but I mm-hmm. like it. It's got a
1: lot of depth. And that's what I appreciate about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Girth. Yeah, mm-hmm. girth, certainly. Mm.
0: I think that with this challah, it's sort of you love it or you hate it.
1: Yeah. I some, mean,
0: yeah. Similar mean, to a lot of pizzas, maybe, which have like a tangy sauce. That's what I'm getting from this, but I love it.
1: Personally, like, when I taste challah, I'm more of like a sweet challah mm-hmm. type of guy. This doesn't have. That same level of sweetness that perhaps I would appreciate,
2: but mm-hmm. it has that depth, that egg. I really appreciate that. Mm. Yeah, the egg's really coming through. Yeah.
0: It definitely is. Mm. This is good. This should this is the
2: perfect hollow. You cut it up, hala French toast. I had mm. some uh, yesterday for breakfast. Outstanding. Is, is there anything better? I don't think so.
0: You ever had hollow French Toast? No, I haven't. Oh. You're missing out. we are on the list. <laughs> it's incredible.
2: Yeah. So you know what? I'm gonna give this a four. Okay, four out of six. Um, rating scale, right? Out of six. I think it's really solid, but I think it's just lacking the, you know, the fresh out of the oven, homemade type of uh, feel. And I think it's just a prepackaged hollow. It's really hard to get that higher, uh, higher quadrant, you know. So this is my score. Good. Yeah. I'm um, gonna give this one a five point two out of
1: six. Wow. Um, As I mentioned previously, you know, I like uh, a little bit more sweetness in it, and I'm just not getting that. So I think had it had a little bit more sweetness, that might bring it up closer to six.
0: I give this a five out of six. Um, I really enjoy this challah. What I appreciate most about this challah is the upside that it has. Mm -hmm. I see how dynamic it could be. Um, As we mentioned before, with the challah French toast, even with butter, I can even imagine... Like raisins being added in here and that would add a layer. Mm. It's just such a good base hollow. But I'm maybe I'm missing a little bit of um, the chewiness that I like in in previous hollows. But then again, five, that's a very good score. Great score. score. Yeah. So you got five, four, four, nine, fourteen five. point two. two. Yeah. Fourteen point two. Out of eighteen, not bad. That's that's a great that's score. That's a phenomenal score. That's good. Mm-hmm. So, Matt, I sort of I came to know who you were freshman year when you released a video on YouTube about printing at Nutriere. Oh
1: man, that's right.
0: And I saw this video and I said, who is this kid? This is the coolest video ever. Everybody thinks printing at Nutriere sucks. And I was like, wow. You know, know, I know there's so many kids that want to make videos, but this kid is actually doing it.
1: Yeah, I... uh I, I totally I, I didn't know that's how you like were first introduced to me but yeah I remember making that uh, uh video about printing at Nutrier and it was um, I, I was in media production at the time and uh, it was awesome just like going through the whole process of doing research and getting opinions from the, the people at the school and um, yeah I, I that was like one of my first big projects in high school and I, I really
2: enjoyed that mm-hmm. yeah I mean printing Regard, I mean I, your video is great it's still been a struggle for me Yeah. Um, you know especially the day of I turned my junior theme um, at my house I don't have a colored printer so I needed to go in early to print it and I just had a, like a meltdown at the printer because I was so like afraid I wasn't going to get this done um, you know like the staples or whatever going to mess up I ended up messing the, messing up the staples had to go back after first period and do it again and the librarians were you know stink eyeing me it was a It was a tragic event for me.
0: Everyone
1: can relate to that story.
2: Everyone can relate to the 810 before advisory. Got the bagel in hand,
1: right? And then you got the iPad in the other hand, and then you're (laughs) rushing into the library and you got to print out your three page essay for English. So, um, what's interesting about that video is um, what I learned when I actually did research on it was. the idea of Uniflow was to kind of make it more of a consolidated process, like to link all the printers together. And when I did that research, it actually like made more sense. And that made me realize like, until you actually take a deep dive into something and like research it, then you really don't have kind of that full perspective on it. Mm-hmm. For sure.
0: I guess when I, when I saw this video and I saw the way it was edited and put together, it reminded me of a lot of my favorite videos, which are from <coughs> all time YouTuber Casey Neistat. Yes. And I mean, is he one of your inspirations? He has to be.
1: Yes. So, um, I first started making videos when I went to a trip on a trip to New York city back in like, uh, sixth grade, I want to say. And when I think of New York city, like I think Casey Neistat. Mm -hmm. And when I went on that trip, my goal was to like go outside his office, maybe meet him, you know, and that never happened. But he was the person who really inspired me to start making videos because it, Spiked my curiosity so much to see the behind-the-scenes process of how he made his videos and um, Then I was actually able to apply
2: that and like learn how the video process worked and I loved it
3: mm-hmm.
2: When I think Casey Neistat, um, I think drones All right, because that's uh, you know, one of his bigger things. So you what's your experience with drones?
1: Okay. Yeah um, So I got my first drone well my current drone um, like four years ago, I want to say and it's the best film purchase I've ever made, because with a drone it allows you to get an entirely new perspective that you would never get from a camera on the ground. Mm-hmm. And it provides that like uniqueness in kind of um, what my, I guess, character is. Um, I guess what my, it helps me build my style um, by creating that new perspective. And interesting story, the first time I flew my drone, um, there's actually a video on YouTube on this. I, I flew it up and crashed it right into a tree, blew a propeller, uh, blew like the guards as well. And about two weeks later, I was flying it down the street and the trees were kind of overhanging the street and it clipped the tree and then it like fell onto the ground and the camera was really messed up. Luckily, it was the day before the warranty expired. Wow. Went back to Target, got a new drone, whole thing, and I've been using that one since then.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. So we talk about Casey Neistat, we talk about drones, but I think that um, what's so unique about Casey Neistat, which I sort of see in a lot of your videos, is the way that you, you're able to tell stories. So you could you just take us through that process of, of, you know, coming up with an idea for a film, laying it out,
1: the whole process, like, up, and then releasing it? Yeah. Um, so I recently worked on a movie with Daniel Solat. Um, it was called From Above, and... It was a a school project, but the the prompt was make a movie that has no dialogue and the idea was to show as much kind of behind-the-camera stuff as as you could. So the first step in making that was just fleshing out an idea and it took a long time to flesh out the idea that we had. Um, We went through like two or three revisions and then we scrapped the original idea and went with this new one, which was a lot better. Um, Then the next step would be Figuring out where we're we gonna shoot these locations. Um, let's make a shot list to get all everything that we need, and then um, we had kind of a basic script outline as well. And then from there, filmmaking just becomes improv. That's what I like to think of because um, you can't plan out for everything that's gonna happen. Something is gonna go wrong when you're in the filmmaking process, and the ability to improvise on the spot is the most important trait that you can have. So, you know, we went out to the middle of Indiana, it was like a two hour drive, and we didn't know exactly what where we were going when we went out there, but we just went out there and started exploring, and it, we ended up finding these amazing locations, and it was just an awesome experience. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of behind the scenes processes to films. And then like films like Casey makes, I, what interests me the most is how he, he goes from like, he tells a story from different locations. So it's like, are you planning out how you're filming these different scenes? You know how he does that? Exactly. Like, yeah.
0: Exactly. And yeah. then, yeah, he also, he also passes time through time lapses and then it just, yeah, it just flows. Um, it just flows very uh, sh- like straightforward or linear. Yeah. Um, but sort of what I want to talk about next is that I think that there's a lot of hesitant, a lot of hesitant people that are maybe afraid to create something or do something that not a lot of people are doing. And it's sort of, it's sort of hard to go against the grain. And I think that that's a lot of what, what you do. You don't do what everybody else does. So where, did, where does that come from and, and sort of how, have you, how has that become a part of who you are?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think pushing myself to, the main thing that got me into filmmaking was creating the most visually appealing images that were possible, creating a new perspective, and I think the amount of effort that you put into filmmaking is exactly what you'll get out of it. So, like the reason we went out to the middle of Indiana to film this was because I love this windmill farm. I wanted to shoot it, and I knew it would look incredible on the camera. And um, I guess that, that passion stems from just, it's, yeah, it's just like the, the drive I guess that I have is, is just cre- yeah, creating these beautiful images and creating something that hasn't been seen before. And that's what keeps me going because filmmaking is one of the most hard artistic Things that you can do, just because there's so much room for error, and there and something goes wrong on every project, you know. And I know you have some experience with that in broadcast A bit. journalism, A bit. broadcast journalism too. Um, so, yeah, it it keeps me on my toes because I know that every project's going to be different. Every project is going to have its its unique set of challenges, and I'm learning through every um, you know film that I make. Like for example, there was one film that I made last year. Um, we shot the entire thing in like a couple days I sit down on the computer and I'm looking at the image and there was a speck on the lens mm-hmm. and all the footage had like one tiny speck on the lens and that really bothered me and so the way we worked around that was we just put like a old timey film um, thing so like there were those blotches that, that yeah. came up and that kind of masked the um, the footage but now i know every time before i start filming wipe the lens wipe everything off to make sure that that doesn't happen again
2: yeah where did this you know you said your an inspiration for you is Casey Nice that but where did this you know passion for filmmaking really begin um what age and kind of how did it start
1: yeah i mean it really started on that trip to new york city when um when i was in like 6th grade or something like that and um i just wanted to at least try something and that video was so Like, it was horrible. Um, I look back at it now, but that's like where it started. And then from there, I started making YouTube videos um, at the school, at at, uh, Wilmette Junior High. And like, that's something I became uh, known for at Wilmette Junior High was like, he's the guy that does YouTube videos. And like, I liked that idea of being known for doing something that's unique. And uh, I made YouTube videos through like that summer, I think of 2017. And then what caused me to slow down was, I stopped, um, I I felt the need to document everything that I was doing. I felt like my life was entirely being put on YouTube Mm -hmm. and I enjoyed just having experiences and not being inclined to have to film everything. And so, yeah, that summer I just kind of started slowing down and I moved more into like motivated stuff where, you know, you have to make scripts and, and do outlines and stuff like that, where I go to a to a location specifically to film, not filming my experience that I could just be experiencing, you know, outside of the camera, I guess. Yeah, for sure.
0: So I guess anybody that's really passionate about something, whether it be a sport or an instrument, or for you, it's film, they know that how frustrating it can be. um, And just, you can put so much into it. So I guess what I want to know is, you know you obviously learn about filmmaking but what do you what do you think you you've learned from filmmaking
1: um, I mean I've learned I would say I've learned a lot about myself I guess like the attitude of resilience being able to overcome challenges that um, I face through filmmaking and then also like lessons that I've learned in filmmaking have applied to other areas of my life like you know I've um, expanded a little bit into like radio stuff and I, I've done um, like some other podcast stuff and mm-hmm. um, I like my I guess I, I'm going to college to study film production and yeah like my goal in college is I have a general idea on like what I want to do which is like directing and cinematography but my goal in college is to um, see what are the options and maybe try try some stuff that I maybe hadn't tried before and see like, what is it truly
2: that I like in this field and just kind of going with it. So, what are your future plans and what's your overall goal for filmmaking?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, that's kind of a, I'll start from the beginning. Um, I don't know exactly what my plan is. I mean, my yeah, my goal is to go to film school, see kind of what it is that I really like doing. I mean, as I said, I like directing and I like, cinematography, visual stuff. Um, the goal right now, I would say, is I'd love to start a production company mm-hmm. doing small videos, drone stuff. There's a great company in Chicago that I follow called Dula Media, yeah. and I look at them and I'm like, that looks awesome, that's what I want to do. Um, but it kind of depends you know, what happens at film school. Like Maybe I, I see something else that I'm interested in. So my goal right now would be to start a, a video production company, but honestly, I'm, I'm open to Seeing where the path takes me. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really cool.
0: I guess one final question that I have is, what would you say to somebody who, um, maybe, wants to get into film, but is a little bit hesitant? Because when you do something, again, whether it's a sport or it's an instrument that you're passionate about, you're putting yourself out there. So, what do you what do you say to somebody when you know? What do you say to somebody?
1: Yeah. um, I mean, the first thing I would say is it's gonna start small, like. Start filming videos on your iPhone. You don't need a bunch of fancy equipment. Edit using iMovie. Like there's a ton of free stuff. Like you have a lot of um, materials at your disposal. Like if you, have an, if you have a phone, then you have a camera. If you have a phone, then you have an editing software to use. So start simple. And um, then as you keep doing it, then you'll start to figure out like what your style is. And if it's something that you're really interested in, just kind of stick with it and uh, eventually over time, those skills will just keep building and building and building and building and
2: um, that will lead you to do much better projects down the road. Matt, filmmaking isn't the most popular activity at New Trier. and another unpopular activity that you have so much passion for, especially for somebody who our age isn't so popular, is bowling, all right? So, Alongside Matt, we have Nick Henner, another member of the Nutri Bowling team. So, Matt or Nick, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, what's up? It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah.
0: So, uh, Nick, thank you so much for coming on, talking about bowling. So, I sort of want to know for both of you guys, how do you get into a sport like bowling?
3: So, yeah, I think we actually have completely different stories here. Um, in junior high school, I was all in. I was playing volleyball. I was playing basketball. I was playing baseball. And, like, if I asked my seventh grade self, what I would do in high school, I would say, like, oh, I'm definitely playing baseball, and I'm at least trying basketball at freshman year to see how that goes. Uh, how I got into bowling was me and my friends were going to Six Flags one day, hmm. and we got there, and there was some weather delay. They, they closed down the park. They don't know when they're going to reopen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we hopped in the car, and we then we're going to go to one of those trampoline places, yeah. you know, have fun <laughs> there, but... Just the logistics, all the parents had to sign waivers. Right. It just wasn't gonna work out. So we ended up at a bowling alley of all places. And from like that first time bowling that I can remember, I was just so hooked. I I had so much fun that day. That's awesome. And that was probably in the middle of seventh grade. And so, you know, months later I got my first bowling ball, got my bowling shoes. I actually really, really sucked. Like I'll look back, I was putting up seventies, putting up eighties, and you know, just transitioned into high school when
1: I knew that I wanted to bowl.
0: That's an amazing story. Wow. Yeah, man. yeah.
1: you know, like, I, I just gotta say, Nick is my best friend. Like, uh, meeting him on the bowling team was, like, one of the best things ever, and, like, he, I wanted him to be the best man at my wedding, like, that sort of thing. <laughs> and awesome. I didn't know that. Like, I didn't know that backstory until you just told it. That's really interesting. So, my backstory was my... well. When I was younger, I always loved like going to bowling birthday parties because like that was the thing, and the best, yeah, right? they were the best. I you mean, know, Brunswick on. Zone, like the pizza, the pizza, <laughs> yeah, that, you it's know, classic. That, yeah, the pictures of Coke and all that. <laughs> and, um, I I always enjoyed that because it's like when you got up to the line, you had a chance to shoot a goal in hockey. You had a chance to shoot a free throw, you know, in basketball, or you know, shoot a field goal in in, in football, and. Uh, I just I love that idea and my grandpa bowled in a league and I always look up to my grandpa and um, he would always tell me his stories about oh you know his high game was a like 280 and, and all that stuff and I always looked up to him and so um, freshman year when I saw that there were tryouts available for the bowling team I was like this is it like this is what I want to do so I went out the day before tryouts I um, got you know one of those house balls and um, practiced with my grandpa and he's like yeah, once you get your own ball, like, you'll be going exponentially higher, and that's basically
2: where it started. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, So, I think, like, there's really, I mean, there's such a difference between competitive bowling, and then there's, like, going out on a Saturday night with your, with your friends type of bowling, like Nick started. Um, So, my question is, like, do you, for the competitive bowlers do you feel like you should deserve more recognition you know for the work that you put in or are you happy with your uh, you know your place at in the sports world um, it's tough i think i see bowling's bowling as the same as you know,
3: other low key sports um, it's kind of frustrating though because like Buden placed in the top 10 in the state i believe i was top 50 in state so if you looked at you know the 21 class the class of 21 for Illinois state bowlers. Right now, I would say we're easily top 20, both of us. And Illinois is a really, very big bowling state. So if we were this good at the equivalent of like football or baseball or some other sport, like looking into college, there'd be a lot more opportunities. Right. Like we're not getting the recognition for like how, like we're really good at this sport. Yeah. Um, which that's a little bit frustrating, but from kind of the trier lens, I understand where it comes from because freshman year, it's almost no cut. They, they really look to just improve people, you know, improve 20 pins each season, and you've had a successful bowling career at Nutrior, which is way different than, you know, Southern Illinois where they're bowling in leagues since they're four or five, right? It's, yeah. it's this really unique thing where we have 10 years of sport to make up for
1: in our four-year high school career, mm-hmm. and that's something I think is just unique to bowling. And, yeah, kind of going off of that, um, it's like, yeah, when we went downstate this past year, you had these kids who have literally, like, they were born with a bowling ball out of the womb, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And we came in freshman year with little experience, and within three years, we were at the same level competitively that these guys were, which I think is just incredible.
0: Yeah, and when I sort of look, look back at it, I remember people just talking about the bowling team freshman year, and then um, you know just seeing it evolve. And I think that it sort of starts with you guys, right? And and it's like you guys take the sport so ser- seriously. You take off with it, and then I just feel like the whole culture's changed. Any video I see online, it's of this team culture that I think. You don't see in any other sport at New Trier and I'm somebody who's who's been on a state championship team like But I see it and it's like wow like this is really incredible what you guys have done
3: Yeah, um, and we're trying to promote that bowling culture um, It's weird because in most sports right like baseball basketball across whatever You've got a big group of kids trying to make a small set of a team, mm-hmm. whereas bowling, like we pretty much will take whoever we can get. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's more about reaching out and saying like, oh, you don't have a sport to play, or like you're looking to get active, like join bowling. It's it's this completely different shift. It's not trying to make a team. It's promoting kids to try this new thing and have fun and get good at something.
1: For sure. Yeah, um, I would say you mentioned like the culture has shifted from how the bowling team was like our freshman year to where it is now. And we have gone through um, a lot of seniors who perhaps didn't like take it as seriously and we weren't competitive. Like freshman year we got cut at regionals and like that was devastating. Then sophomore year we got cut at sectionals and it was like, wow, this sucks. But we, all the the seniors who were on the team those previous two years kind of got phased out and now it's like, we weren't like the losers on the bowling team, like we were actually athletes on a bowling team that was competitive, and that's what led us to State last year. That's awesome. awesome.
3: Uh, Really since day one of our sophomore year, we were easily the top two bowlers on the team, and we became captains, and so we had these big shoes to fill, but we had three years to figure out how we wanted the culture of the bowling community, like what for it to look like, and so we had this great opportunity to kind of make the bowling team ours. That's Mm -hmm.
2: awesome. Yeah. I think bowling, no matter who you are, no matter how good you are at bowling, I don't know if you could have a bad time at a bowling alley. Honestly. For real. A round of bowling, it's the most fun ever. So I want to ask you, obviously you take it seriously. You're super competitive about it. What do you you appreciate more, the competitiveness about it or really just the fun fun that bowling is?
3: Um, Well, it's definitely evolved over the years. Um, Kind of the thing I was most excited for freshman year was that what you do at bowling practice is you bowl, yeah, right? Yeah. Like when you go to a baseball right. practice, like you'll do a dynamic mm-hmm. stretch and then you'll work on some specific drill and then you'll do conditioning and then you know, you'll work on first and thirds or you'll work on pickoffs or whatever. And then maybe at the end, you'll play some type of simulated game where bowling, like you warm up and then you bowl for an hour and a half. And like, that's so fun that you just get to play your sport. You don't have to worry about all these other things. Mm-hmm. And that just getting
1: reps is what makes it competitive and what makes it so fun Mm -hmm. yeah i agree with that like freshman year i think it was most exciting for me because every day ninth period um during the season i was like this is my reward for the day like i've gotten through the day now i get to go bowl like that's what has kept me going like every time i pull up to the bowling alley it's just like a smile on my face it's like a getaway basically for me from the rest of the world and when i can spend time with you know my close friends my boys and uh, we're just bonding and having fun over it um, that's what I appreciate the most is it's fun
0: that's incredible yeah. And I, th- I think that um, like just hearing that team camaraderie it's just it's so amazing and it's just that love of the sport that's so pure that you really like you know sometimes at new career when you play a sport it, it can become sort of like a job because you're spending hours uh-huh. doing it but when I when I hear that it's very refreshing but what I sort of want to hear about now is you say that you you two guys are some of the best bowlers in the state, um, and it's an individual sport, but you also have this team camaraderie that's
1: so amazing.
0: So how does that really work?
1: Well, I have a, a really good example of that. So we went downstate um, in January of 2020, and it's hard to believe. like Coronavirus was in the U.S. <laughs> when we went downstate, and it was like... It was the greatest weekend of my life. I think you can... Yeah, it was was a blast. And uh, so how it worked was we left on like a Thursday. We got down to O'Fallon, which is like six hours away. (laughs) It's like in the boonies of Illinois. And we got there. We practiced. And I remember during that practice... It was horrible. Like I did not bowl well in practice. I was like, I'm not feeling it. Like I don't know how you felt during that practice. That I first don't know. Ball. I think I did. all right. okay. Sure. <laughs> yeah. so, all right. right. So uh, then we went we went out for dinner that night and got some rest. Woke up in the morning feeling good. We got into the alley and um, so we we bowled. I believe the highest on the team. So you bowled like a 12 something. No, oh, yeah, I was like 12. 12, 12 something yeah so so how it works is during these tournaments um it's five guys and we take the total score from um five total games so typically what we shoot for in a five game set is a thousand so yeah. that's a 200 average per person um so over the course of the day like henner shot you know just above 200 i bowled like a 13 something so I think I averaged like 226 I want to say that first day yeah. and I really surprised myself when I did that because it was like I'd never averaged that high in a tournament and to be doing it at the state tournament like it was awesome so I was the only individual from Trier that advanced to day two um, so we went out for dinner again that night I got to bed early they played like <laughs> smash bros or whatever um, and then woke up the next morning and I walked into the bowling alley and like I felt really weird. Like I felt kind of alone mm-hmm. when I went in there initially cuz they went off and did something and I was just in the bowling alley alone like with my coach and I was like, wow, I have the weight of basically my school riding on my shoulders during this. And then they about halfway through I think the first game, they came back and they'd made all these signs and they were sitting behind me, and it was the greatest feeling, because I, I turned around and I saw them all there and they were cheering for me, and I wouldn't have been able to have made it to that position without my team. And I'm incredibly grateful for my team and that they were able to sit and watch me bowl through that entire uh, second day. And first game, I dropped like a 160-something. <laughs> I was just not feeling it. I was like, wow, this is really bad. How am I, how am I gonna come back from this? And um, what happens is, I left my bowling balls on the, on the van like overnight, and it was January, so they get really cold. Yeah. And then when you bring them into the bowling alley, they start to like expand. And what happens is it messes with the feel, because like it's, it's a really big feel thing for a one hander. I mean, two handed privilege, you don't have this issue, but. Um, <laughs> He goes bowls with two hands. You're into right, like, yeah. j- like Jason. Jason no, Bowman. Yeah, no, Jason yeah. uh, But I'm a typical like, one-hander. And it messes with the feel when the temperature changes. So what was happening was it was like hanging on to my hand, basically. Yeah. And it was throwing off my accuracy and all that. So I think ninth frame of that game. At that point, like, the game was done. Like, I knew this was going to be a bad score. So try and set yourself up for the next game. So I took, I think I either added a piece or I I think I took a piece of thumb tape out. And then the ninth and 10th frame of that game, it was just like nine spare strike, like I'm chilling. So I dropped a 168 and then I went over to Henner and I was like, dude, like this is bad. And he's just like, keep your head up, man. Like, you know, get out of your own head. And I'm like, all right. Game two, I threw the first eight strikes in the game. And I was going up there in the ninth frame and I was thinking to myself, can I really shoot a 300 here at the state tournament? And that's when I lost it. Because <laughs> yeah. as soon as you say yeah. 300, yeah. you're done. Yeah. And I went up to the line, yanked it, and just threw a split. Um, so I ended up shooting a 265 that second game. That's legit. And so that balanced out the score. So now I'm averaging like, what, like a 210. So I'm like, all right, I'm chilling. Game three, nine spare the first frame. I threw 10 strikes in a row after that. So it went that's strike, strike, <laughs> five. Say? Strike, strike, five in the second game. So I went 168, 265, and then 285 for the third yeah, game. That's, that's crazy. So I was able to bounce back there. And then uh, the, the last three games, there were six games that day. The last three was just pick up your spares, try and hit the head pin and pick up your spares because uh, the oil was starting to get all over the place and it's was getting all whack. And um, so I finished with a two... 18 average and uh, was the first player at New Trier in the bowling team to be named All State. That is so legit. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. is an incredible accomplishment. And we
3: didn't make it to state with that little drama. Do you want to oh, talk about yeah. that section? Oh man. Okay. So well, no. You can talk about All that right, So, yeah. so <laughs> sectional. Width. So the top six teams from each sectional advance to the state tournament, and we were heading into the last, the sixth game, the last game of the day, and I think we were up about hundred pins. We were hundred pins in the money. And we just completely crapped the bed that game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, everything that could so go bad, wrong did. Yeah, yeah we, we every, like, I think I was the only one that... I think you were in the Anything? Yeah, like, and so hands. after that day, our coach looked defeated. He's like, you guys blew it. Like, we didn't make the state tournament. And for me, I was in a really awkward spot because a number of individuals, I believe it's the top 10 individuals from the sectional also advanced. And mm-hmm. I had a great day at sectional, so... I knew, like, whether our team advanced or not, I was going to make it, but obviously it would not be the same without the team. And so we're we're just depressed. It's a good five, ten minutes. We're all just sitting there. Like, we didn't make it. We blew it. Like, just kind of replaying that day. Like, what could we do better? And then the GVN coach walks up to us, and he goes, like, congratulations on making the state tournament. And at that point, we didn't know what to believe, because, like, here, our head coach is telling us, like, we blew it. (laughs) We didn't make it. Turns out, like, the other two or three teams in contestant also crapped the bed that last <laughs> wow. game. And we actually came in fifth out of the six teams, and it was just the ups and downs, the highs and lows. It I got a, yeah, It was a
1: nail-biter. We made the cut for state by 28 pins. Wow. Like, that is three spares over the day, pretty much. And to put that in perspective, that's like a
3: fifty eight fifty to 58-20. Those 30 pins, like... That's, what, that's 0.5% of the total score for that day. Mm-hmm. Like, we
2: just barely made it, yeah. Now, I gotta ask you, do you guys yeah. run the Chicagoland area? You know, <laughs> yeah. it sounds like the Southern Illinois guys are just out of this league, but... Yeah, that's, that's interesting, actually. It, it, it's interesting looking at it this year because the
1: conference has changed so much, especially because of uh, COVID, um, and because a lot of the seniors from the teams in our area graduated. Mm-hmm. So, Vernon Hills... They're our main rival. They're always going to be a powerhouse. They have like three of the best coaches in the area. Um, And I think that's who we need to be competitive with this year. GBN, it doesn't sound like they're going to be very good this year because they lost a bunch of seniors. Deerfield can't really feel the team, uh, nor can Niles North. But Niles West and who else do we play? Evanston as well. Evanston, I don't know. That's kind of up in the air. But uh, this year, it looks like we're going to be number two. So Vernon Hills number one, nutrient number two. And um, over the, the last three years, we've kind of been like fourth and fifth yeah. in that area. So we're hoping to make that jump this year. That's awesome. I sort of want to know about now is that, you know, it's
0: just you who, who bowl. So what's, what's your mentality going in, you know, when you know it's all you, you're in, you're in state, you're in sectionals, regionals, whatever, you know there's a lot of pressure, everybody's behind you. And the bowling ball's in your hand. What are you thinking about?
3: Well, so first, I'd like to kind of set the scene for the state tournament. <laughs> so we're in O'Fallon. What there's forty lanes there, and there's twenty-four teams and a handful of individuals. And you know, each for each bowler, there's at least one or two fans. Yeah.
1: So all the parents, they bring ladders, they bring step stools, wow. they bring periscopes, <laughs> they bring cowbells. Bowling like, spectating is a whole nother thing. Like it's really? a whole yeah, it's a whole cult like. It's where they, yeah, they bring these like periscopes in and they got like step (laughs) ladders. That is so legit. The the fans are are stacked like 10 people deep. Like it is so, you're sweating in there, not because it's hot in the room, like from the heat, Mm -hmm. but because of the amount of bodies in the room. I love that so much. That is why you're sweating.
3: Just trying to navigate through the alley. They put tape down and it's maybe two two feet wide throughout the alley and everywhere else it's populated with people, just... Bringing your equipment to the lane in itself is a task. Yeah. And so the pressure, I think that's something um, I'm good at is having composure. When I played baseball, I was a closer. Um, mm-hmm. I am really pride myself in never getting too high and never getting too low. Mm-hmm. So I try my best to tune out the pressure. And I feel like it's like most things. Like Once you get that first ball down the lane, you kind of settle
1: mm-hmm. yourself down and you're kind of get to good to go for the rest of the day. Game one is, I think, the hardest game for me because I've got the nerves pumping, especially like a first tournament of the year, the first game, uh, it's just always like the blood is pumping and, and the nerves are going. And I, I would agree with what Henry said. He's really good at maintaining composure. I would say I'm less skilled in that regard. Um, like if I get a, if I throw a bad shot, like everybody knows I'm getting a bad shot. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's something I've been trying to work on, especially at, at the state tournament, I noticed little noises distracted me a lot and the way I combated that was not tuning them out but like I put the ball down and like reset so that works as well but also I think as a bowler you need to have the ability to tune out distractions in the bowling alley, especially when you're bowling next to like a family of six and they've got three toddlers and they're using that alligator ramp thing to, and they're throwing it granny style like, and you're in the next lane over trying to, try, trying to put in the work and actually practice, you know? So um, yeah, being able to tune out those distractions is a skill that I'm, Developing and, and still working on but I think
3: that's one thing that makes us such a great duo is that we have two completely different personalities. In the bowling alley, if we have a great game, you're not going to come to me to get, you know, super hyped. You're yeah. going to come to who's going to hype the whole crowd up. But you know, likewise, if we struggle a little bit, you're not going to know from me. Like I kind of have the same attitude whether I bowl, you know, in the two high two hundreds or where, whether I have a a poor game. I'm trying to be that rock for the team, while Boone is kind of that engine that gets us revved up and ready to go. That's awesome.
0: I sort of want to know about, you were on, you're on. you just ripping strikes, <laughs> right? And you're just, you're so teed up, you're so fired up, everybody's behind you. Are you celebrating? Or like, what's what's bowling etiquette? Because you see movies like The Big Lebowski that are casual doing in the bowling league you get that one guy like licking the ball Yeah, yeah Webber, yeah, yeah. Webber the guy was like yeah. what's the line what's the line who do you think you yeah. are <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like
1: are you talking trash to like, <laughs> you, like these kids from O'Fallon, Illinois or okay so the great thing about bowling is bowling is a gentleman's sport mm-hmm. so there's minimal trash talking really like the only trash talking I think that happens was from like Vernon Hills um, and they kind of just trash talk themselves in a way um, but we often we give high fives even to the opposing team you know we shake hands and do all the uh, sportsmanship stuff but trash talking isn't really something that that goes on i would say
3: no in terms of celebrations the state tournament i picture it as like each team sets off their own fireworks when they strike yeah so you know you're on lane 20 and somebody on lane 25 does a strike and you just hear this firework you hear all this eruption of of yeah. cheer and praise and each team has their own unique celebration. And it's something uh, yeah, like yeah. Uh, Hananega says the same thing every time they strike. There's like these sayings that you can associate with each team and it gets loud and it gets rowdy.
1: It's incredible. Yeah. Like, And the other thing is like the parents get involved in the celebrations too, <laughs> especially at the state tournament. Like there is so much noise happening in that room. Like uh, there's one celebration, I don't know if it's uh, Manuka or, or Hananega, but uh, one of them goes like, hey ho-ha and then the the parents reply hoo-ha and like it's just it's it's incredible it's amazing
2: um one thing you know you look at like when the bowling is on espn you know they're not the most you know built fit guys so but bowling i gotta know is it it sounds like you the the physicality could be pretty uh tough on your body and you get pretty sore from it so yeah, so we actually had the pleasure. this was
3: the last day of summer break before our junior year, we went to this pro youth event, and it's something I love about bowling. We were getting like coached by the best professional bowlers in the world. It would be like you go into a baseball camp and like Mike Trout and A Rod and Jeter are there yeah. like coaching you, and yeah. these guys they've got the biggest right bicep whatever yeah, <laughs> yeah. like if you like if they held out both their arms like their right bicep is two or three times bigger wow. than their left one because <laughs> you have to manipulate this 15 pound ball and their thumbs are just disgusting too oh my too.
1: god i yeah i had this one one professional bowler his name was dick allen he he's examining my hand and he's like you have the hands of a sailor my friend and then he shows me his hand and like both of his thumbs are just like calloused and disgusting (laughs) and then he like goes over to this other pro bill o'neill and he brings him over and he's like and i see his thumb too and it's just like the 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 amount of of strain that it's put on not only the hand and the the calluses that are created there the knees especially like professional bowlers have knee surgeries all the time nick is having going through a back injury right now like um i would say it's more with two-handed bowlers than uh one-handed bowlers because two-handers they use like more parts of their body their back and stuff like that so it i i remember actually i remember when we went to a film festival we were on the bus and you said uh you guys are, are lifting for bowling and you kind of said that like you know you smiled and you were like and i said yeah i mean in any sport if it's golf if it's bowling if it's basketball whatever um being more physically fit Will help you generally. And 100%. I know there is kind of a stereotype of bowlers where you've got like the beer belly and, and, and all that. And um, I would say actually professional bowlers are becoming much more athletic now mm-hmm. because it's been seen that the more athletic you are, the more you will succeed in the sport. Yeah,
2: I think it's very similar to golf in that sense. Because yeah. um, you look at the top golfers, they're jacked, and you look at earlier in the 90s and 80s, they were just, you know, yeah, they were yeah, just average. Guys, yeah. yeah.
0: I also, well, also now think about it. What I love about bowling is that anybody can bowl. Like, there's nobody that's just born naturally. I mean, besides these kids from the middle of nowhere (laughs) nowhere, in (laughs) Illinois, nobody's born really just you know. You you don't have to be six foot four, two hundred twenty five pounds to bowl. So everybody sort of starts on an even playing field if everybody starts at the same time. But it's really just how many reps you put into it. That's I, I think that's incredible.
1: Yeah, it's, it's how far you decide to take it is how much you'll succeed in bowling. And I talked about it in filmmaking too. It's how much you put into it is how much you'll succeed in that. And I, I'm personally under the belief that there's little to no such thing as natural talent. Like if you have an increased motivation to improve at something and you have the right mindset to improve, then you are able to succeed if you put in the work to do so.
2: All right, Matt, we're going to transition a little bit. Last year, we had the president of TriShip, Nate Shinderly, and this year, you're the president of TriShip, so That's tell right. us about TriShip.
1: Yeah, um, well, first of all, TriShip is a social service club. I- I'm surprised at the amount of people in New Trier that don't know what TriShip does. Like, it's it's a social service club. We raise money for for charities, and we also raise money for the um Nutrier, I think it's scholarship fund, and mainly we raise scholarship for seniors who are graduating. Um, and so the events that we do over the year are steak sandwiches, which we haven't been able to do this year, unfortunately. Uh, we do the canned food drive that benefits the Land Food Depository. And our main event is the Christmas tree sale um, every year. And we just got the go ahead actually for the tree sale this year, which is really exciting. Um, my process to becoming president was really interesting because I knew if I was gonna be president of TriShip, I'd make this speech Mm -hmm. in front of the whole school. And I'm not great with public speaking. And uh, I I got really, really nervous doing this. So I got in, this was like March 6th. This amazes me too. This was March 6th, like a week before school got let out. Yeah. Yeah. And we had a thousand people packed in this auditorium. (laughs) And so like Izzy Hester went and then TriShip went up, or and then Kenny Dolan went and then TriShip went up there. And I had been elected to go first as the as the speech, and I remember just getting up there on the podium. The lights were so bright, I couldn't even see basically anybody in the audience. And uh, I opened my speech with a joke. Yeah, yeah. and it yeah, bombed. Know. Like it know. totally bombed. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I remember. And I basically, I think I started it with saying like, first of all, I'd like to uh, apologize in advance if I have any voice cracks. During the speech, um, because I still haven't uh, like reached puberty yet, or I or I'm I'm just like getting into puberty. I thought it was funny. I thought it was funny. Yeah, (laughs) it totally like crickets in the room just bombs right. I thought it was. And then somebody started clapping, and then the entire place just went erupted. And I went through the speech, and I thought it was it was really well done. And then I shouted out um, Michael O'Keefe and like all those yeah. other oh, um, oh, yes. Mario yeah. Carinatte. And then everybody went nuts, and yeah. it was like I don't you know I want to make this club by the boys and for the boys again. Like everybody's just going yeah. nuts. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, this is I I think I killed that speech. Like I, I love doing that, and uh, I think that's what propel me to win the election. 100%. I honestly
0: think that you could have gone up there and said literally anything <laughs> and people would have cheered for you, you're such a people's champ. Yeah. And I mean, you're comparing your speech to the other person who's running for trash it wasn't even close. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I I like honestly, I was sitting next to G. Laz, Grant Laz, or uh, Lazkowski, Lazkowski yep. great. he was in, was in my advisory. Great, great guy, Yeah. love G. Laz. Um, your speech was so good, it just hit on everything. That last line, you know, buy the boys for the boys, that was just, yeah, that was the perfect way.
1: Yeah, and I have to give a shout-out to j Jack Marino. He was the guy who ran against me for tri Like, he's such a great guy, and I think, you know, either way the election would have gone, like, tri ship this year would have been amazing. Mm-hmm. And I knew that we were both fit to fulfill the position, and um, I think it was, a great, it was a great competition that we had. Yeah, I was very happy to see you win. Thank you. Very yeah, I remember I went into, I had French first period yes, you did. and I came in and you were just like, you dabbed me up. Yeah, it was so, awesome. so good.
0: Yeah, That was awesome. So, uh, or do you want to do that
2: Christmas tree? Yeah. yeah. So, Nate last year mentioned this, but you said he wasn't there. Apparently at the Christmas tree sale, there was a stolen Christmas tree? There was. It, it's honestly ironic that we
1: do a Christmas tree sale for charity around a holiday, and these guys had the audacity to come in and steal a Christmas tree. So the way that like, we do our Christmas tree sale at that lot over by the, the track, mm-hmm. and what we do is we put some of the shorter trees in the north field, and then we have the other trees near the track and, and kind of that area. And I was there one day, and I saw this car roll up, and. I saw them putting a tree in the back of their car. And so then I like turned to one of the guys and I was like, Is anybody like taking care of them? And they kind of like, we all like walked out and watched them and nobody said anything. And then the sponsor came by and like they were putting the tree in the back of the car. And then as my sponsor says like, Hey, and they just got in the car, hightailed it out of there. Wow. That's like, wild. the fact that it, it just makes no sense that we're doing. A tree sale for charity during a holiday, and they stole a tree from us. Like, okay, the tree was worth maybe sixty dollars, right? Mm-hmm. But that's still sixty dollars that were taken away from someone to further their educational opportunity. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I don't
0: know. <laughs> yeah. I don't, what I was gonna say, I was gonna be like on hot talk, like we don't condone like anything on like Christmas for like. Christmas. <laughs> 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 um,
1: yeah, that's actually, that's a, that's a fair point you bring up. So I was talking to Julie, um, my my stepmom, about, uh, she's Jewish, and uh, we were talking about, well, the Christmas tree sale, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's a one-way, yeah, religion, it's, it's an association to religion type of thing, and she challenged me to see if there's a way to um, still maintain the tradition of the Christmas tree sale while also being Conscious of other religions, Mm -hmm. and um, I know like and I have been discussing about this, and we're we're trying to come up with a way to um, make it more religiously, I guess, conscious. Easy, house for charity. (laughs) (laughs) Easy,
2: and we'll we'll sponsor it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah
0: that's yeah that's pretty easy and then you could
2: there are other holidays yeah. too i, I mean, mean there's plenty of hanukkah opportunities you yeah got menorahs right you know sadaka boxes dreidels dreidels Dreidl, we could, yeah like a dreidel poker uh, little like
0: competition yeah. so <laughs> <for> charity yeah. <laughs> yeah. we'll uh, be uh
2: happy to be there yeah to help definitely the jewish uh sector out <laughs> <Awesome>. yeah <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll be
0: the representatives yeah
2: yeah um i think that's it yeah
0: i think that's perfect all right all right matt Nick, thank you so much for joining us. Um, this is a terrific episode. Uh, really, really appreciative. Um, you brought up an amazing holla. So Matt, is there, are there any shout outs or, or plugs?
1: Uh, yeah, I had a couple plugs that I wanted to shout out. So first one is uh, the Movember Foundation. So you might see the lettuce that I'm kind of growing out right now. Mm-hmm. Um, every November, I te- this year we're teaming up with TriShip. Uh, we grow out ridiculous mustaches uh, for charity. It's for men's health, um, prostate cancer, testicular cancer, and uh, mental health awareness. So, um, movember.com, that's where you can find it on the worldwide web. Um, nutri Boys Bowling, follow us at NT underscore boys underscore bowling. That's on Instagram. Uh, follow TriShip at TriShip underscore NT on Instagram. And then also the Nutrior Coalition for Diversity. It's another organization that I'm a part of. Uh, Right now we're working on modifying the English curriculum to include basically other cultures um, and authors from more diverse um, backgrounds. And so you can find us on the World Wide Web and you can also find us at NT Diversity on Instagram. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.